Hi there. Oh, definitely hello there. Hi there. <laughs> if you were sleeping up to this moment. Uh, as many of you know, uh, over the last uh, month or so, we've taken some time to talk about the future of our church, uh, particularly our, our future building. Uh, with so many new people, uh, even in the last year, with our kind of projected goal to try and start construction uh, by March uh, 2020, uh, we set out uh, to raise $125,000 in pledges uh, over the next two years. I just want to tell you, this, this was a, a big goal for us. Um, you know, when we set a goal number, in terms of setting a number that was possible for us to hit, this is probably the biggest stretch goal we've ever set for a goal in all the times we've attempted to raise money for what the Lord was doing. Uh, we knew that it wasn't going to be uh, easy to hit. Uh, with God, of course, there's always a chance uh, to hit 125000 but we kind of knew going into this that if this is going to happen, then the Lord just really has got to move in our church and in, in our hearts. And so over the last number of weeks, as uh, pledges have come in, we've calculated the results from all the new pledges for the next two years, and our total is $161,248. So that's pretty cool. Thanks. Uh, some of you just golf clap, very Minnesotan of you. That's great. Uh, this is amazing, right? It's just, it's incredible. I had no idea uh, what was going to happen. Uh, if this would have said 70,000, I would have went, all right. You know, you pray and you hope, but uh, it's, just cr- it's crazy. Uh, it's just cool to see God move. Uh, thank you uh, for your sacrifice, because it is a sacrifice. And for allowing God to move through you, God is just going to do amazing things to the people of this church. Here's what's really cool about this number. Uh, This number comes from 61 different pledges. So this wasn't just from a handful of people pledging $40,000. In fact, the average pledge was right around $2,600. $1,300 a year. Do you know what that means? That means that this, this is all of us. I mean, literally almost all of us doing this together. That together we believe in this vision, right, to change our city and change our world. Uh, in fact, when we put the pledges together, the pledges from this year uh, together with the pledges that were made last year, uh, there have now been uh, $1,476,400 pledged towards this. That's crazy. Right? That's almost a million and a half dollars. And so uh, with that in mind, Uh, We are now going to march forward uh, with a level of confidence and hope uh, toward breaking ground on our building in just 15 short months in March 2020, which is crazy. Now, again, of course, anything can happen, right? Um, These pledges still need to come in, right? If we all just pledge and it's just hypothetical, uh, we aren't going anywhere, right? Uh, the, the economy uh, can change on a building project of this sort of magnitude. You know, problems can arise. If any of those things happen and the timeline gets changed, we're just going to trust God anyway, okay? We just are. But for now, we're going to march forward now towards this goal of putting the shovel in the ground in just 15 short months. And so pray with us. uh, Stay up to date. Stay faithful to your pledge. And uh, we're going to be there before you know it. It's going to go fast, uh, which is going to be cool. So, all right. Thank you. Uh, We are continuing this morning in the book of Luke. Uh, If you want to follow along in the word of God this morning, there's a Bible under every chair. Uh, or you can use your Renovation Church app, just have Bible and weekly verses. Uh, 
We're going to be on page 839 of this morning. Uh, Do you ever uh, sit in class? I mean, this, this had to have happened to you in high school, at least. And the teacher's just droning on about something, and you're thinking, when am I ever going to use this? Like, you ever sit in, in chemistry class and just think, yeah, I'm totally going to need to know the atomic number of argon later in life. Thank you, teacher, for that, right? My guess is that when you look at the disciples in Scripture, is they almost never thought that with Jesus. When he taught them something, he almost always gave them an opportunity for real-life application right away. It's on-the-job training. So take a look at this. We're on page 839, uh, Luke chapter 8. Uh, we now, as we're going through the book of Luke, we're now on verse 19. It says this, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Okay, what's the main sort of crux of that last verse there? is that you can't just listen to the teachings of Jesus. You have to actually put it into practice. You have to put it into practice even when times are rough. Okay, now watch this. This is presumably only a few days later after he said this to them. It's literally the next verse in the Bible. Jesus is going to test it out. He's going to see if the disciples are actually living out what he's been teaching them. So look at verse 22 now. It says, One day... Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall, this is a huge, huge storm, came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Okay, this morning, these four short verses... And God's word on the storm will show us, uh, I believe, three things that we need to understand about the storms in our life, the difficulties we face, three secrets of the storm, if you will. Now, this is not an exhaustive biblical treatment on everything God does in the storm, but really three things I think we can learn about storms from what we see in this particular passage. Now, you might even be coming in here this morning and in a storm right now. Your life just feels crazy. It feels like it's just been turned upside down over the last few months or the last year. My prayer is that this is really helpful to you. If you're here and you're like, yeah, actually it's been pretty good lately, uh, just know that the way that life works, that there's going to be a time again in your future where you're just in the storm. That's just how life works. And I want you to be biblically prepared for it. In fact, actually one of the best times to get prepared for the storm is when you're not in the storm. Sometimes it's easier to see with a bit more rationality and focus when you're not in the middle of it. Okay, so let's start with the first thing that we need to understand about the storms that come into our lives, the first sort of secret of the storm in this passage. Number one, storms grow your faith. I encourage you, write this down. You can do it right in the app, then you can bring it to your small group later this week. 
and kind of talk about what the Holy Spirit saying to you as you open yourself up to him. Storms grow your faith. Now, there's a lot that you can pull out of the scriptures when you really study them. One of the things that kept hitting me this week as I just kept reading the text over and over and studying it is there's a point where I just went, oh, wait, wait, hold on a second. Jesus knew that the storm was coming. Even when he said to them in verse 22, he said, hey, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Like when he encouraged them to get into the boat, he knew that the storm was going to come while they were on the boat. I mean, do you think they woke Jesus up and, and he woke up and said, oh, man, oh, oh, so, so sorry, guys. I totally forgot the storm was coming. Oh, man, I knew, oh, we should have, we should have stayed over on the other side. I'm so sorry. I just, for, right? he knew it was coming. And think about this. He knew this incredibly huge storm was coming, and yet he was so relaxed, so calm, that he fell asleep. Can you imagine knowing that's coming in like an hour, and you're just, I'm just going to get some shut-eye. I mean, it's crazy. And it was a massive storm. So about a third of the disciples are expert fishermen uh, on that exact lake, no less. And even they were terrified of this particular storm. So I believe that the fact that Jesus knew it was coming and he could fall asleep anyway ought to give you some encouragement in the storms that you faced. And so when you lose a job, when, when you feel like your marriage is faltering, when there's a death in the family, Jesus knew it was going to happen. You know, I think in our storms, it's particularly important to remember that oftentimes, no, not all the time, but oftentimes, God doesn't actually want to immediately solve your problem. Sometimes he actually wants to grow your faith first instead. So think about this. Jesus could have, if he wanted to, right? He's Jesus. He could have woken up right when the first raindrop hit the boat. But he doesn't. He just keeps sleeping and sleeping all all the way, in fact, to the point where the disciples had to say, hey, we're going to drown here. In fact, Luke points out that it had gotten so bad that the water was literally swamping the boat. Sometimes God lets the storm develop for a while in your life. He, He lets it. When you read the story in the Gospel of Mark, In Mark's version, Mark tells us that the disciples also said to Jesus, don't you care about us? Right, we feel that way sometimes in the storm. Don't you care if we drown? And yet you can imagine Jesus sort of waking up, you know, just kind of, kind of in the midst of the downpour, right? He's not all that concerned, just going, looking up at the storm and going, quiet, be still. He doesn't wake up with a gasp, right? He doesn't say, guys, why didn't you wake me up sooner? He doesn't. And so I I think you can look at this in the scriptures and, and, and draw this conclusion. If the storm is still raging in your life right now, please don't doubt his timing. He's always doing something even when it looks like he's doing nothing. 
for a lot of us, one of the things that he's doing in his timing is he's choosing to grow our faith via the storm. You know, I think in my own life, it, it took us uh, just about two years to find and then secure the deal for our amazing piece of land for Renovation Church. And there were many times throughout those two years where I felt like this, it was, it, honestly, it was a trying time for me as a, as a leader. And yet, I will tell you looking back that it's probably the number one thing as a leader where my faith has been grown in my life. I kind of feel like now, looking back, if God would have just said on day one, hey, here you go. Here's this amazing uh, piece of land and property uh, right on Lexington, the 125th. Uh, congratulations. I feel like my faith wouldn't be in as good of a place today as it is if it just would have happened. Because the truth is, most of us don't really grow our faith when the sea is calm. Now, I wish that wasn't the case. Like, seriously, I do. <laughs> Just often that's how it works. When the sea is calm, what happens is we usually just find ways to rely on ourselves. And so know that the storm is an opportunity for you to see God again. Right? Because when it's not storming, we just tend to default to self-sufficiency. Right? Especially in a wealthy country like this one, where you're not praying about having food today. And often storms are the only way that God gets our attention. So when the storm comes, you just need to ask, God, what are you doing here? Where do you want to grow my faith here? What do I need to be talking to you about here? That reminds me of a true story. Uh, If you don't believe me, you can Google it and look it up. Uh, Back in 2004, a Hurricane Charlie was slamming into uh, Florida. And uh, the over 100-mile-an-hour winds came through, and they knocked over most of the signs, kind of high-hanging billboards, that sort of thing, in the area. With the exception of this one billboard, And the advertisement that was on the billboard because of the rain and the wind was peeled back to reveal a previous advertisement. And so as all the residents were coming out of their shelters and their homes, this is what they saw. Take a look at this. Isn't that crazy? But it's it's indicative, it's illustrative of the storm. Often that's what God is doing. He's saying, hey, hey, you've just kind of been going off on your own, making it work on your own, and so we're going to do a little storming here, and maybe you'll get back to the point where we can talk again. See, the challenge is, lots of times as a pastor, I see storms do the opposite in people's lives. They, They push people away from God rather than closer to him. And see, one of the things that you have to know as a believer, and I think, I don't know if believers just get this from bad Bible teaching or what, but one of the things that you need to know as a believer is that storms are a normal part of you being a Christ follower. Jesus' teaching in John 16 is really instructive here. Look at this, John 16, 33. What does he tell the disciples? He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Okay, that's nice, right? In this world, you will not, hey, if you're really good, you won't. If you're really faithful, you know, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And the storms are going to come. Think about this. Okay, the, the disciples were actually following Jesus' will. You could even say that they were following his command. He said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake. 
they were following his command and still the storm came. Following Jesus doesn't mean that your life is going to be easier. Right? You'll have peace, as he says. You, you know he'll overcome the world. But in some ways, it, it might actually even be harder. But don't run. Don't run just because there's a storm. The storm is an opportunity not only for you to grow your faith, but it's, for you, it's an opportunity for you to take a good, honest look at the measure of your faith. I, I, I've always believed this. Uh, storms will always reveal just how big your faith in God is. And that's really the second thing I think we need to understand about the storms. It's the second secret. And it's this. Storms reveal your measure of faith. Okay, so think about the disciples, right? They're obviously freaking out about the situation. And then in verse 25, Jesus speaks rather strongly to them. We're going to talk about why he does that in house groups this week, by the way. And he says, what? He says, where is your faith? He's not happy, actually, that they were freaking out. Why? One of the reasons he's not happy is because of what they've already seen him do. So think about this. I mean, we could even go backwards through the book of Luke and what we've covered in 2018. What have the disciples seen? They saw a son raised from the dead. They saw a centurion's servant healed from afar. They saw a paralyzed man walk. They saw a leper cleansed. And Jesus is saying, you've seen all that, and you don't think I could make it stop raining? You should have just like, nudged me awake like, rather calmly and said something like, Hey, Jesus, I'm sorry to bother you. I know this is like no big deal for you or anything, but I'm just wondering, you know, I know it's not a big deal. Could you just make the rain stop, right? I think Jesus is also upset because he knows what's coming for them in the future, right? Because he's Jesus. He knows that persecution is coming. Uh, trials of leadership are, co- are coming. For 11 out of 12 of them, martyrdom is coming, their faith is going to need to grow. I think really one of the only reasons that we panic in the storm is because we don't see it in proper proportion to our God. Like, if you could only see the storm that you're in in its proper proportion to the strength of Jesus... If you could only see that God, again, if it's his will, right, that's important, if it's in his timing, could just say, hush, and it would be over. If we could see that, then we wouldn't panic. And so when I get into those seasons of my life where I'm just wetting stress in and anxiety and fear, and I do, I'm sure I'm standing on the stage, but I'm just like you, I just happen to be standing right here. When I let stress and anxiety and fear begin to take over my life, what I'm doing is I'm letting the size of my storm overshadow the size of my God. But it's like, if I would get on my knees and I would look past the storm, I would remember that my God could squash my storm with his pinky finger if he wanted to. This is how God describes himself to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? 
Right? For some of you, that just needs to be your prayer this week. This week, write it down. You know, put it in your kitchen. Write it on your mirror, whatever, with a, a glitter and pink marker, whatever you do. Right? That, that just needs to be your prayer, and you just think about your storm. I mean, do it right now. Just whatever you've been facing lately, and then you just apply God's God's promise of is anything too hard for me? Right. So, so you go, okay, is it too hard for God to help you find a new job? Is it too hard for God to fix a relationship in your life? Is it too hard for God to get you out of this financial crisis? Like, is there anything in your life that you're facing where God is going, oh, okay, let me see that one. Yeah. Ooh, that's tricky. That's, that's real tricky. Uh, yeah, sorry, I just don't think I could pull that one off. No! There's not. Right? Nothing is impossible for him, so start praying like it's possible. So the storm may have revealed your measure of faith, but now's the time to increase it. And you increase it kind of like he's inferring to the disciples. You remember what he's done. You remember what's possible. And I think this leads us to the third thing that we need to understand about storms from this passage. Third secret is this. Storms let you put your faith into action. So we kind of grow after the storm, but this is for in the middle of the storm. So I want to go back again to Jesus' four words in verse 25. He says, where is your faith? Now, certainly we've already talked about the idea that they should have faith by now because of what they've seen. But I actually think the biggest concept embedded in those four words of where is your faith is the idea he's saying to them going, yeah, where is it? No, no, seriously, like, where's your faith? Why aren't you putting it to use? Bring it out. Uh, Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, faith, contrary to popular opinion, is not automatic. Faith is not a feeling. It's not an impulse. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't kick on like your air conditioning kicks on. When the heat gets too hot, the air conditioning turns on right away. That's the way it's set. People think, well, if I had faith, it would just come on. And now watch what he says. Faith is applying. That word is so important. Faith is applying what you know about Jesus. Okay, so the disciples, right? They're, they, in that moment, they're being controlled by their storm, by their situation. They're being controlled by what they see with their own eyes. And maybe that's you right now. You just honestly, you're being controlled by the storm and what you can see. But see, the, despite the fact that, are the disciples believers in Jesus? Yes, right? Yes, of course they're believers. They had some measure of faith, but the problem is they didn't apply it. That's why he's saying, where's your faith? Why aren't you using your faith? They didn't use it. Right? We need, to, we need to know this. It's like the old phrase. People have been saying this for centuries. Don't doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. The dark is just an opportunity for you to apply your faith. Right? But you've got to turn it on. Right. Now is the time for you to decide, do you believe in him or do you not? I think as Christ followers in America, we have a long way to go when it comes to actually living out the faith life. Like, we're pretty good at, 
having faith for the past and the future. Right? We have faith in the past. Yes, Jesus died for us on the cross. We have faith in the future. Oh, yeah, we're going to die and go to heaven someday. But I don't think we're all that good at actually applying and exercising our faith in the everyday, in the present. You've got to activate your faith. Right? Do you believe that God can do something? Right? Do you have faith? Do you believe in God's promises, that he's with you no matter what's happening? Do you believe in his timing? Activate your faith. Because otherwise, we're just like the disciples in the story. We, sure, yes, we believe in Jesus, but we're not actually activating our faith. And think about this. Remember, the disciples willingly chose to not wake Jesus up when the first raindrops fell. They willingly chose not to wake Jesus up, even at the first clap of thunder. Right? It wasn't until it looked like they were finally going to go under until they woke him up. Whenever I read this story now, I always think of the illustrated picture in the Jesus Storybook Bible for kids. I want to show you this picture because I think it's illustrative of it. So I love this picture because it's like all the way up to this point, they were going, I think we got this. Just let him sleep. Just, he was fine. We got, we got this. And don't we do that? I do that. Right? This is one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that we don't activate our faith that often. Like the water is swamping my boat, and I haven't even asked Jesus for help yet. Now, I actually think that the fact that Jesus uses this scenario, that he uses fishermen in a storm, is really instructive here. I would say that it's harder for the disciples to ask for Jesus' help here on the Sea of Galilee than perhaps anywhere else in the world. Why? Because they're fishermen. And as the storm is raging, they keep telling themselves, it's fine, it's fine. We're professionals. Like they're professional fishermen, for good sake. This is their lake, for goodness sake. They've faced storms like this on this lake all of their lives. What is Jesus the carpenter going to do about it? Right, so they just keep struggling with the ropes and adjusting the sails, and they don't wake Jesus up, and they don't ask him for help. And we do the same thing. By the way, did you know that we are the most hesitant to call out to Jesus for help in the situations in which we already feel the most proficient? But friends, I hate to break it to you. There is nothing in your life that you are better than Jesus at. And besides, there's nothing that's too small for you to bring to Christ. You ask for help early and often. We need to activate our faith. We need to not let it be dormant. We need this real life active faith. I was um, talking to a friend a little while ago in my life, and I was saying to him that I, I just described myself. I said, yeah, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. And then later that day, I had this intense conviction from the Holy Spirit. It was an awful feeling. And I felt like the Spirit was saying to me in that life, and it was a time in my life where I felt like, okay, you're on the roller coaster of faith, right? We all have ups and downs. I was on a down. And I felt like the Holy Spirit 
was saying to me, right now, you ain't following me anywhere. Except his grammar was better because he was the Holy Spirit, right? I felt like he was saying, the only, the only thing that you're following is a system of moral code. Right? It was kind of like the Pharisees. You aren't following my spirit anywhere. You're not actually listening for my specific instructions for your life and then following them and obeying them. And you know what? That is totally true in my life. When I, when I get in like the, the down seasons as they come, however often they come, I don't necessarily veer off the moral path, but I'm not following. I'm not listening. Like, what are you telling me? What do you want me to do today? Where should I? I'm not following him. I'm not activating my faith. But that's what we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. And there is no better opportunity for you to actually activate that faith again than in a storm. Wake him up, right? I guarantee you he's ready to wake. He's awake, right? Call out to him. And when you call out, you call out with an incredible amount of trust. Trusting that he can subdue any storm in your life. And even if he chooses not to, then that's okay. Author Wayne Lamb points out that one time he was sitting in his house and he was looking out and there was a a huge storm. He looked out on this tree and there was a bird just sitting on the branch. And it was seemingly calm and unafraid. And he felt that it, it seemed like the bird was looking the storm in the face and saying, hey, if you shake me off, no problem. I got wings. And I think as a Christ follower, that's our attitude as we face the storm. When you come in, we're trusting that God is up to something. We're trusting that God can move in our lives. We're trusting that we can vanquish any storm. But even if the storm should vanquish us, well, then we have wings. Right? That, that's what we believe as Christians. Worst case scenario. Okay, let's just go worst, worst case scenario. You die in the storm. It takes your life. Worst case scenario, we spend eternity in paradise. All right, so we trust. We trust. We trust in our God no matter what. In every storm, we remember who he is. We remember his power. You remember this week. You remember his love for you. Right? If he stayed true to you during the most intense storm of all on the cross, if he stayed true to you, then we will trust him and stay true to him. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. May we be faithful to you. May we trust that you don't do things by accident. God, may we trust that you are always moving. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that's facing something difficult right now, and I know that so many people that you would comfort them, that you would guide them, and just show them what you're doing, God. May they experience your presence and direction in just a fresh way today. It's in your amazing name we pray.